0: Southern Skies online media G'day,
1: folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 89 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. On a very chilly winter's afternoon here in Melbourne, Australia, I'm Steve
2: Fisher, and uh, no doubt chilled as well is Grant McHeron. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate, not too bad. The uh, central heating is on, and the carbon tax is being burnt in the house. Don't oh, just. At all.
1: Now, let's not get off talking about the carbon tax, Grant. You'll make me all grumpy.
2: Oh, sorry, mate, sorry, mate. Let's get you back into something happier. Let's talk about flying.
1: Let's indeed do that, and to help us
2: do it this week,
1: a man who loves telling aircraft where to go, it's ATC. Ben, how are you, mate? I'm good. Uh, Very
3: cold, though, as uh, you alluded to earlier, so it's going to be a chilly old night in Melbourne, I think.
1: Yes, indeed, as we're recording this on uh, Queen's birthday holiday Monday, the 11th of June. It's been fogged in here in Melbourne all day, but uh, I tell you what, uh, back at the start of April, Ben, that wasn't the case, as we jumped into a uh, a Piper Archer and uh, made our way up north to Tamora.
3: No, it was a beautiful day, a bit of a a low cloud cover, about 4,000 feet, but the main thing that was our thorn in our side was the 20 knot headwind we got all the way up there that the old powerful archer even though it uh, can only do a, a massive 120 odd knots uh, we were down to, to double digits so it was kind of hampering our progress
1: we were indeed but we finally made it up there and of course uh, tomorrow on that weekend was uh the the annual national fly-in for raos known as nat and uh, we headed up there unfortunately grant uh, that was back at the period where you were still uh, quite unwell so we had to leave you behind i know you wanted to
2: come along but uh, uh, I, was, I was pretty heartbroken mate i I was was doing my best uh, living dead impression, and uh, yeah, spending a bit of time dead for tax purposes, just bad timing.
1: And a little bit different to last year, of course. Last year, we went up, of course, with the mobile studio, uh, but this year, we couldn't fit all that into the aircraft, and uh, well, it wasn't quite as big an event this year, to be honest with you, but uh, still a great event nonetheless, and uh, we've got a package of interviews here, some fantastic ones coming up, Uh, and a little bit later, of course, uh, we're going to do list of mail, which we haven't done for quite some time, along with some shout-outs, and to top that off, uh, Ben's going to answer a couple of uh, ATC questions that have come so uh, let's kick it off. Natfly
4: 2012.
1: Well, here we are, Ben. We've uh, we've done the trip up in the Archer. We're sitting here. It's a very windy day here at tomorrow, but uh, we're uh, getting out to uh, hit the interview trail here at Natfly.
3: Yeah, we've uh, made the trip up in a nice blustery 20 knot headwind yesterday. And uh, by the way, this wind's tracking. Looks like we're going to have another 20 knot headwind tomorrow when we go home. But that's a very uh, nice day. It's uh, the wind's up a little bit, but. The cloud is uh, nice and high, you have got only um, a little bit of high cloud, so it's uh, looking like it's going to be a good day.
1: Absolutely, it's uh, looking a little bit quieter than perhaps we saw last year here in Natfly, but uh, as always, a uh, great community spirit uh, as we saw here last year, so we're looking forward to getting into it, Ben, I think we should get on with it. Let's go. Well, we're sitting here at Natfly, and Natfly, of course, is being run by uh, RAOZ, and uh, no better people to talk to about that than the people right at the top, so I'm sitting here with uh, Steve Tizard, who's the Chief Executive Officer, and uh, Steve Runciman, who's the uh, President of RAOZ. Gentlemen, thanks for spending some time with us. Nice to meet you. Now, Steve Tizard. Uh, Now, there's going to be a lot of Steves here, so it's going to be uh, a little bit confusing, but uh, Steve, tell us a bit about RAOZ, how it came about, and um, how we got to the stage we're at now.
5: Well, certainly in the... uh Late 70s, early 80s, they were forbidden to cross a main road and go above 300 feet. There was only single place aircrafts they had to teach us how to fly. And that was the beginning of it all. And as you see now, uh, we have virtually the same uh, responsibility, well, we always have had the responsibility that the same. areas that GA can operate in, except we don't have controlled airspace yet, as a matter of course. Yep. So we're using uh, very sophisticated aeroplanes now, some of these new ones, are you know, way ahead of the Cherokees and the Cessnas that we used to fly in the 80s and
1: 90s. It's certainly impressive, the, the technology that you see in this sector, and it's, it's obviously become popular because it's cheaper, but I'm curious about... The, the path that you took to get it to the point of, of more general acceptance. I mean, it's, it's obviously popular now, but I can remember when I was learning to fly 20 years ago, I mean, if we, people would look at this sector and say, oh, rag and chew, and we don't want to glorify lawnmowers and that sort of attitude. That's really changed. So that's obviously been a big challenge for, for your organisation.
5: It certainly has. I think the acceptance is the better and more modern equipment, in many cases far better than GA's got, but in terms of the training, we've got the same syllabus, we've got the same standards, we've got recognised uh, credit of our hours when you want to go on and get GA qualifications, so uh, there's no reason people shouldn't come our way.
1: Even in these tough times economically, are you finding that that is drawing more people into this sector, are you finding, or is it, are you finding a contraction as the rest
5: of the sector is seeing? No, we've just, I believe, passed our 11,000th member. I think one of the advantages we've got is being able to use our driver's license as a medical, effectively. Uh, that's certainly a big saving. And certainly, owner maintenance on private aeroplanes is another thing to our advantage. So there's certainly cost savings there. Uh, certainly, an aeroplane is going to be used in a flying spill, it's got to be professionally maintained, but otherwise, owner maintenance, and they're not falling out of the skies.
1: I'm interested with your relationship with CASA. Um, obviously, one of the big advantages is that you can start your flying here, and if you want to go on a GA, you can transfer all that aeronautical experience over, which yes, is sir. an obvious advantage. So, was that a hurdle you had to get over with CASA, or are they quite amenable to that?
5: Oh, no, that's been around for a long time. I'm a former examiner of airmen, and then flight ops inspector, when the name changed, and uh, the, the credit of these hours came in in the 90s, so it's nothing new. It's nothing new. You can uh, do up, up to half of your ATPL command hours, is my understanding, in RAO's aircraft. So well, that's not a new concept.
1: And you obviously would have quite a regular dialogue with them. and, and,
5: and... We have a, a, an extremely uh, close relationship with CASA. Uh, we're talking to them all the time. They are, after all, letting us operate on a Reg 308 exemption via our operations manual, so they're certainly not out of the loop. And no, you're quite right, we, we have a lot to do with CASA on an almost daily basis.
1: I often wonder whether they would almost prefer to see the bulk of the, the GA light aircraft training perhaps shift more to your sector. I mean, it would probably make their life a lot easier, I
5: suppose. Oh, it's something you'd need to check with CASA with. Mm. But, uh, we certainly, in terms of the training done by us, it's our understanding we're up to about 185 schools, I think it is, and there's certainly less flying training organisations with air operator certificates in GA.
1: We might move on to the other Steve here in the room. And Steve, you tell us about NAPFLY. It's, um, it's a very windy day here, but it's a, it's a great, obviously great weather here at Tamora. And uh, we've got quite a good crowd here, but uh, how do you see this show going? Uh,
0: yeah, this is um, our third year at uh, Tamora for nut It's been going on a, a long time. Um, this year, unfortunately, we're down uh, a few numbers uh, compared to last year. Uh, we're not sure why that is, because the weather's been superb, as you say. You know? Um, and, you know, it's still still early though. Hopefully some people will fly in today for the, for the day and maybe stay overnight, so. But it, it's still a great event. The people here are, are loving it, they're enjoying it. Um, the exhibitors, um, you know, they're uh, enjoying it too. They're getting lots of interest, so, yeah. Although we're down on numbers, it's, it's still a great event, so.
1: It's almost like a, a mini Avalon, isn't it, for for your sector for RAOs isn't it? I mean, it's very well organised. Ben and I flew in here yesterday in the, in the uh, Cherokee, and it was you know the, the follow me guys were there, and you know the the paperwork coming in there was all nicely organised. So it obviously is something that you've you know routine that you plan many months ahead of time, and it's it's very you know it's obviously something that's coming together well.
0: Yeah, there, there is a lot of planning goes into it, and it does start uh, early. Uh, we'll, we'll probably start planning next year's event uh, on Monday. Yeah. Uh, that's early it starts but um yeah you, you say our sector it, it, it is run by RLS, but there, there are a lot of ga um, aircraft that come in and visit us uh, over the weekend as well so um yeah and you know it's a great event and, and we like to think that um, you know with our experience over the years we have got a lot slicker with our documentation etc and it goes really well and, uh, and i think the uh, Pilots uh, flying in find it very easy, and the uh, registration procedures, etc., really slick. So, yeah, we 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 do what we can, and we're always open to. uh Um, you know constructive uh, criticism and uh, you know ideas Uh, we certainly do listen to the members
1: this is my second outing to naff i was here last year and one of the things that i really like about coming here is there's a real genuine positive spirit that you find around here everyone seems to be here just to generally celebrate aviation and have a good time it's not the big heavy metal um, you know all the big companies here selling the, the heavy jets it just seems to be a real positive sense of community about this uh, this event
0: yeah I, I think the main idea is, is to bring people together to share the uh, you know the passion of aviation and uh, you know you can see from the uh, variety of aircraft that we've got uh, here you know there's, there's people in trikes uh, all, all the way up to we've got some warbirds down here so it, it is like-minded people coming together and you know just sharing the the
1: passion of aviation that's so. oh, fantastic well it's a great event and uh, we're blessed with some great weather a bit of a shame about the wind but we hope that might uh, that might ease off as the day goes on but uh, notwithstanding I appreciate you guys uh, spending some time with us okay. thank you very much thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well,
1: is there nothing that uh, RAL's aircraft can't do? We're standing in front of a couple of uh, amphibians, uh, the Petrol LS, and uh, we don't know exactly what that is. I've never seen one, but uh, Rowan Whittington here is here to tell us all about it. How are you, Rowan? I'm well, thank you. Beautiful day. Now, tell us about these uh, fantastic-looking aircraft, Bi-Wing.
6: Yes, absolutely. It's a biplane uh, amphibian aircraft that's built in Brazil, uh, the original design was in 1986, it's been modified extensively. Now this aircraft will uh, pitch you along at about 100 knots. Uh, it has a 912, so it burns MoGas and AvGas, and uh, let's just say it's taken me from Tasmania to Heron Island out to Lake Eyre in the last 18 months, and I've never been happier.
1: I'll tell you what, out at Lake Eyre at this time of year, and uh, particularly with the water back, would be uh, spectacular flying out there.
6: It was a magic flight, and there is some restrictions to flying uh, over Lake Eyre, but there's a lot of lakes and rivers and creeks around there that we uh, dipped our uh, hull into on that 10-day trip, and uh, it was just, you know, every day you wake up to what are we going to do next and how are we going to uh, uh, have some more fun? And the, the places we went and the scenery we, went, we could see that a lot of other people couldn't see was just magic.
1: Yep. Now, um, we might get into talking a bit more about the intricacies of flying an amphibian in a minute, but uh, I'm curious about some of the other specs of this aircraft. Uh, what's the power plant behind it, a Rotax,
6: I'm sure Rotax 912 ULS, so it's the 100-horsepower. It's a carbureted model. Um, and we run the aircraft at about uh, 52 to 5500 RPM, so that gives us about 80, knot- 85 knots in what I call first gear. Uh, <laughs> when uh, you run a uh, seaplane off the water, you have to have it in fine pitch, uh, in a fairly fine pitch to uh, get the uh, thrust to get off the water. Obviously, it's quite draggy, so this aircraft will get off the water in about 100, 150 metres, depending on your load and how high you are, your density altitude, essentially.
1: Now, uh, tell me about the uh, the avionics package so they come with different i noticed with particularly in this ral sector there seem to be a wide variety of different uh, avionics packages you can get in any given aircraft i take it it's the same for this
6: absolutely you can buy this in the steam gauge version if you wish as i have and i I believe in the robustness of steam gauges and so i basically came uh, brought it out with um with that and then added radios in as i saw fit so the micro air and an old bendix king uh, transponder which i fitted afterwards um, the new aircraft come out now literally with the full dine-on um, glass cockpit package from one end to the other. Just the, the full glass instruments and uh, absolutely magic to see. Um, but for me, I like the old steam gauges as I was uh, trained on 25 years so ago. I agree with that. Yep, I'd go for that. <laughs> Simple and straightforward. <laughs> But uh, yes, you can choose a combination of any of those packages from Edra when you when you purchase the aircraft. Yeah. So they're built to your specs. All
1: right. And what would you be looking at to uh, to get one of these over here? What uh, sort of for a base model? What sort of price? The base would you model
6: look at? And the analog gauges, uh, with the Garmin GPS and Garmin radios, and a Garmin transponder fly in Australia is 125,700 so it is actually at the uh, the. Oh, I, I hasten to say not the budget end but it's the realistic end to step into a seaplane for most pilots.
1: Now you said they're made in Brazil? Yes. Absolutely. So what's the sort of lead time? How many of them are there in the country? Directly?
6: Well, there's five now. Um, my aircraft here seven, nine, or nine, or seven, has been here for 18 months. It's one of the two aircraft that came out. There's now um, five aircraft in Australia. The four new models came out in uh, late February, early March and uh, now two of them are flying around Australia and the other two are waiting for their pilots to get their licences. Right. Tell us about some of the, uh,
1: the the intricacies of flying. I mean, getting certified to, to fly an amphib, uh, particularly through the RAL scheme, um, any sort of particular extra training, obviously, you'd need to do for that?
6: Yes, the, um, the aircraft is known as a water hull. So um, on your licence, uh, the water hull WH rating has to be, uh, uh, you know, you have to take up that rating, but it's also retractable gear for the obvious reasons. We're yeah. not a pure floating hull, we are amphibians, so you need a retractable gear endorsement. That takes up just a couple of hours of regular land circuits. I'm the instructor for uh, North, uh, northern New South Wales and Queensland for uh, Super Petrol. And uh, generally your rating takes about 10 hours, and uh, you'd like to see at least 100 takeoffs and landings on water to gain the endorsement. Right. So we initially go around the circuit area on land for the first two or three hours, get you used to flying the aircraft in a normal configuration, and we go out and have some fun on the water for the next six, seven hours. Right. We do things like step taxing, plough taxing. Beachings, driving, putting the gear down, driving up boat ramps—too much fun doing that. And uh, also um, finding the best places to camp on the beach. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, really part of the flexibility you would get with having an amphibian. I? I mean, you can pretty well go anywhere you want. Yes. Um, I often say we stick to the blue because the green's the dangerous bit. So <laughs> it's the opposite to the uh, the regular land-based uh, aircraft. So we literally fly from river to lake to um, to uh, harbour, looking for good spots to land. Uh, Yep. And uh, that's that's the challenge for us is to find the best places to stick it in and have some fun with it. Yep.
5: One of the
1: things I noticed, with it's obviously because it's an amphib, it's, it's it's very low to the ground. So I mean, it, there must be quite a, a rush as you're coming into the water. And I, I guess even if you're landing on on a runway, that would almost to me seem like an unnatural for someone who's used to flying, a, say a Cessna 172, where you're a little higher up. I mean, does that must
6: take some getting used to? Or uh, it does get a, t- uh, a little getting used to from a flying point of view. But generally, when I take my uh, my, my uh, the people that to go and have a demo flight in it, it's wiping the silly grin off their faces when they do their very first water landing at that point. Yeah, yeah. And um, I often get, oh, can we do that again? You know? yeah. <laughs> There's no fear in it, it's just an unusual point of view. So if they're flown in a uh, float-type plane off a 185 with floats on it, they say, yes, we're really down low in the water. Yeah. And the only thing I say to them is, yes, you may get a little wet if we um, you know, hit some uh wakes or waves that we're not looking out for apart from that you pretty much stay dry virtually all the time and uh, it's just the uh the absolute grin on their face that i you know still enjoy seeing for new pilots
1: absolutely we've got the lake bogo in coming up are you heading off to that i uh, booked in a long
6: time ago absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually part of the seaplane pilots association we have an intranet forum which um, as a seaplane pilot you're invited to join and we've organised the events out to next year. Um, we have Lake Boga coming up. There's Rath Mines, which is at uh, Lake Macquarie near Newcastle. That's a flying event for seaplanes. And also I've organised a trip up to see the uh, solar eclipse in November of this year. Wow. And we've uh, booked a house that's right on the beach with a rainforest right behind us. And the owner said, yes, please bring all the seaplanes up park it on the beach and watch the, um, the uh, eclipse on the, in the morning the next morning. So it's a trip of five or six um, days for some people. We're going to stretch it out to ten and just hit every lake, river and harbour on the way up there and uh, then enjoy the uh, solar eclipse.
1: That sounds wonderful. We might have to stay in contact with you, Rowan, and you can tell us all about that in the
6: future. I'd love to report back to you.
1: Okay, now you're talking about uh, an online presence, so where can people find out more about this aircraft
6: and more about what you guys do in general? Absolutely. The uh, website is uh, www.superpetrolaustralia, uh, and uh, just type in Superpetrol Australia and you'll come straight to our website anyway and you'll have all the details and um, the information on there.
1: Fantastic looking aircraft. We might see you at Lake Berger, mate. Look forward to it. Thanks very much. Thank you. <laughs> We're sitting here in the cockpit of this lovely new twin-engine Tecnam, uh, looks a lot like the old Part Navier actually and uh, we're going to find out a bit about it, we're here with Chris Cabot from Tecnam and from the Wagga Air Centre.
7: That's correct.
1: Chris welcome and uh, you're sitting in the back seat, I'm sitting in the cockpit and um, lucky I don't have my twin rating current these days, so we might be tempted to fly it away.
7: Yeah that'd be right, well it's pretty easy to fly so even you could do it mate.
1: Yeah absolutely, <laughs> so you've seen me fly then obviously. Obviously yeah. <laughs> well Chris tell us about this aircraft, it's a really sleek looking machine and uh, looks beautiful in here.
7: Yeah well it's, uh, this is is the first of its type in Australia to be operated commercially. That's powered by a Rotex engine. It's got a 912 Rotex on each side, which is uh, four-cylinder, horizontally opposed, carburetted. The aircraft is fully certified IFR. Um, It's got the Garmin 950 glass cockpit uh, with analogue instruments and uh, uh, engine instruments. And basically, we find it a very suitable aircraft for one and two passenger charters and for we use this one mainly for fire spotting.
1: And uh, I'm looking at the size of this aircraft, I I think it would be very well suited to the training market as well.
7: Yeah great, We've um, we've just sold our first one into British Aerospace at Tamworth and they've bought one to trial it as a training aircraft. Um, the beauty of it is, it's uh, very cheap to run, economical. 140 knots on 42 litres of fuel an hour, um, and the thing will fly all day on one engine at max takeoff weight, which is something a lot of twins won't do.
1: Well, that was going to ask you about the single engine performance. Yeah. And yeah. I was going to say off. Yeah,
3: because I've got my twin rating, and I've yeah. had I've got a rating in the Part Navy, and yeah. that's certainly something that the Part Navy won't do. No. And even though it's got two extra seats, it um, it won't even burn 40 litres an hour on
7: one engine, no. let alone two. <laughs> no, well, when we demonstrated this to British Aerospace, we actually took the aircraft up with four passengers in it at 4,000 feet, and we fired one engine completely, shut it down, and we climbed another thousand feet from 4,000 with four packs on board so yeah no it will do it and yeah I'm the first one to agree as well I've got 5,000 hours in chieftains and three tens and, and uh, basically you pick a spot where your legs are to where you're going to land you know.
1: Now um, Technam is probably better known to most of our listeners as uh, being the, the light single engine LSA class that you see around a lot of training schools this is a real departure from that how long has this uh, concept been around for the Technam the twin engine?
7: Well the uh, Technam are really one of the companies that are going forward at the moment, um, when you look at how long it is since somebody's certified a new twin engine aircraft today, um, it's really a great step forward. They're, they're not only looking at the training market, they've they've also got a what they call the Traveller, the 2012 Traveller, which is going to be what I believe a replacement for the Chieftain. Um, it's going to be a, a 10 or 11 seat aircraft um, capable of, you know, uh, of uh, uh, commuter type operations and very airline class type aircraft, like a, a real cabin class new twin, which is something that we haven't seen for a while.
1: Well, we're not seeing a lot of innovation around. I guess from the more traditional companies, I think you know the Cessnas and the Beechcraft are pushing out more of those aircraft that we're used to. But it seems to be this sector and these new, more new age companies mm. that are pushing out all these new concept aircraft. So
7: yeah, yeah, no, there's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of old technology that's been renewed with Technam like as you say the the. Named Twin and that looks very much like the old Part Partnavia and um, old Giovanni Pascale had a fair bit to do with that, he's, he's in his 80s, the professor they call him, and he's, uh, he's the instigator behind this new design, but um, no, look, they're, they're a go-ahead company, I know things that things aren't travelling that well in Europe. But that doesn't seem to be phasing the Italians. They're uh, they're right into it with the uh, with the technology and and the development of new type aircraft. Well,
1: we've seen that too with the uh, the Piaggio group are doing some fantastic things too uh, yeah. for Italian aircraft. Yeah tell us about this sector you talk about europe being down and we've talked to the friends over at Jabiru. they seem to think things are down too are you seeing that in this sector from the technam's point of view in australia
7: oh definitely you know our our sales turnover is uh, is down dramatically you know it's a funny thing i've got a mate that's in the in the sport speedboat industry and you know he sold 12 speedboats in the last 2 months and we've uh, sold two aircraft in the last year you know like it's wow. it's hard to imagine that uh, people are spending money on things like that but they're not into aircraft but I think the, yeah the industry is just a bit down at the moment people try to talk it up but uh, it, it's it goes in cycles you know and uh, things will come right
1: have you seen a bit of interest around there seem to be a lot of people we're looking here on the ramp and there's quite a few uh, tech names you've got on the ramp here today. There seems to be quite a lot of interest in it.
7: Yeah, no, no, a lot of interest in it. The the crowd numbers are down a bit this year compared to uh, to last year here, but um, the inquiries we're getting are quite... Good inquiries, you know. uh, There's uh, what would you say, less tyre kickers and more people that uh, tend to be serious about buying, which is a good sign. We just need to get a few more of these into the training sector, you know. We've
1: talked more about the the more entry level uh, single engine tech now. What would they be looking at price wise for an aircraft like that in basic terms?
7: Yeah, well, the euro is pretty good value at the moment. It has been up around the 85 cents, it's back down to 78 cents today, Um, but you know, a uh, you 'll get into a good entry-level Tecnam single for around the 130,000 for a basic aircraft now um, they have bought out a new tailwheel wheel version of the eaglet which'll sell for about 119 thousand base model and um, you know that's pretty exciting stuff though they, they've got the thing doing 118 knots uh, you know without the nose wheel out the front with the drag and and uh, you know uh, there is some uh, conversions going on now where Rotax is popping into the the light coming they've got the small light coming now. The O230, I think they call it. Yep. And um, so yeah, it's all it's all pretty good stuff.
1: And what's the sort of lead time if they have to? Uh, if you ordered one today, I mean, how long would it take to before it arrives here on our shores and is all ready to go?
7: From deposit, you're looking at 90 days plus um, shipping delivery, which is six weeks. So yeah, around about uh, four to five months. Right,
1: so they will assemble it to the point where they can put it in a shipping container and bring it over here and do the final assembly here in Australia?
7: That's right, yeah. It's all, it's all completely um, constructed in Italy and then they pull the wings off it. We get two, two uh, singles in a 40-foot container. And uh, ourselves, we don't bring them into Wagga. We take them into Brisbane. It's a cheaper port for us to go into. And we uh, put them together at Redcliffe and then uh, ferry them back down to Wagga from there.
1: Now, uh, you're also with the Wagga Air Centre. Tell us about uh, the Wagga Air Centre and what you guys do there. A lot of charter work, I imagine.
7: Yeah, we've been been in Wagga now for... about 16 years operating uh, charter service. The main part of our business or the backbone of our business is night freight. We operate into uh, 20 regional ports out of Bankstown 250 days a year for toll priority. Uh, Anything from a 310 to a chieftain and now we're just branching into the Cessna caravans now with our freight and logistics side. A bit of flight training, um, as much charter as we can get our hands on, we, uh, we have contracts with the government with, um, with prisoner transfer work and that sort of thing, plus uh, a lot of federal members and, uh, and uh, a bit of medical flying for the hospitals.
1: Interesting stuff, I, I, I know that many years ago when I was learning to fly that uh, you know, going through the path of flying freight was, was certainly a recommended path for, for young pilots trying to build hours, are you finding that that's where you're getting your pilots from?
7: Yeah, more more and more so, like all, all our guys, um, we normally have them for about a year and they, uh, they've they normally had enough of me by then and I've had enough of them and they, <laughs> they'll get their 800 hours multi-engine for the year and, uh, and on they go to the airlines, you know. But uh, it's a funny thing uh, that they say that a lot more pilots are going through academies and that sort of thing now to, to, as, a, as a fast track to the airlines. Mm. But I still think, you know, I honestly think we, there's a better product if they've done it the hard way. You know, they've, they've cut, cut their teeth on the night freight and they've had to make the decisions themselves and yep. not in a multi-crew environment. And, you know, I think honestly it's a, a higher caliber of pilot comes out of that. That yeah. realm, you know.
1: Now you're used to flying in the Wagga area, and I'll just do this tongue in cheek. Uh, tell us about the air traffic controllers you have in this area.
7: Oh, they're pretty average, man.
5: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. I had to drop that in for Ben because
3: he's sitting right here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, Thank you. I, I do my fair share of talking yeah. to Airs, and know uh, they're very, very good. Yeah, very, very good excellent. pilots that they have there. Now we were talking earlier about the 2012 Technam, as uh, the plans for Wagga to move into that when it becomes available to start replacing the chieftains, which. I mean, there's no no such thing as a as a young chieftain anymore.
7: Look, uh, yeah, the first ones they're going to bring out are going to be um, powered by the the like the IO five forty type engine, and as a dealer, yes, I should be saying, yeah, we'll probably get one and that sort of thing, and we'll try it, and but. Honestly, uh, if they cracked a couple of turbines into it, I might be keener to get into it because um, that's where I see the market going for ourselves and that type of aircraft, you know.
1: Well, uh, people want to find out more about the Wagga Air Centre, Chris, so they can find that out at waggaaircentre.com.
7: Uh, yep, yeah, and an AU that'll get us, www woggeraircentre.com.au and uh, yeah, you'll find out all about us there.
1: Fantastic. Well, it's a privilege to sit here in this lovely aircraft, mate, um, and hopefully I'll get to have a ride in one at some point. Probably not today, though, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate
7: your time. Not a problem at all.
1: Peter uh, Weisenberg from uh, Wingmate Avionics. That's Welcome. Right. Thank you. Tell us all about the Wingmate unit.
8: Um, the main unit is, um, is, a, is a simple flight data recorder. It uh, records flight data, obviously, from um, internal sensors, such as uh, GPS, position, speed, altitude and heading. And it's also got um, three accelerometers and three axis gyros on board. It basically only needs a uh, power, cord, power cable to a, uh, to a power, 12-volt power point in, in an airplane. And it can record up to 400 hours of flight data. Then the, uh, the data is all stored on an SD card. Which you can simply take out and put in your laptop, and the software will then do the analysis for you. It it will report on every flight that you select what your approach speed was, your touchdown speed, and whether the accelerometers has seen anything really crazy happening in yeah. terms of a bad landing. So and that that's all great, but for for the the average user, it's pretty it's pretty cool that it has a Google Earth export as well. Right. So you can review your flight in 3D and also. Um, with Google Earth check your, your your circuit altitudes and deviation from that.
1: So a really handy tool for training, obviously. It and is, uh, yes.
8: Yeah. Yeah, for example for example if a student goes out and, and comes back, he can sit more relaxed with the instructor and then they can go through, through what he's done. Um, like for example, we've we have we have taken one one instructor out and just asked him to do a few versions of steep turns, like a really good one with the ball sender and a bad one where the ball's not sender. I challenged him that I could see it in the data, and I could, you could clearly see on one of the, the the forces, the lateral forces of the airplane that you were feeling like sliding out of the airplane. You could clearly see that on the data. Yeah. Um,
1: so it does well at measuring across all three axes, which yes, is
8: the yes, main thing yep. about
1: it. Yeah. And, uh, and it uh,
3: keeps a student, a solo student pilot, almost too. When he goes out on a solo nav, you can actually check to see where he's. They've actually been where they were supposed to go. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And not
8: only that, if, even if he's done circuits and he comes back and 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 the question is asked, how are you landing? And we will go, yeah, didn't feel anything. They were soft as. But in in actual fact, he might have come in really low and really again, you know, nearly stalling, which yeah. the landings would have felt really well. Sure.
1: Do you think at some point in the future, or maybe you have this? capability now where you could do uh, like a real-time tracking for it or do you have to bring the uh, the SD card back and put it in the computer?
8: Yes, well, one of the things that we actually, that's a good question because um, what we do now is store all the data that we have fairly high speed, like five times per second on the card to do all the analysis afterwards. If, if this software develops into the future, I can see it happening that all the analysis as well, when it's really stable, is done on board and it reports online, just a small report. Yeah. With a, with, because if we if we send all the raw data over over the internet, if you like, that's going to cost a lot of money, mm. because it's a lot of data.
1: it can take a lot of bandwidth to, to exactly. get it across that. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. I notice also here on the bench, you've got a uh, donor and EPIS unit here, and you know, I believe you can plug it into that unit as well.
8: Yes, yeah. It will co- record all, all the... The data from the data stream, so it, it only needs really it only needs two needs two wires, yep. and then it will record uh, the sensor data from the from the EVAS, like airspeed, angle of attack, if it's uh, if it's got the proper connection for, or uh, airspeed sensor for it, uh, pressure, altitude, pitch, and roll. So yeah, all that.
1: I suppose potentially, if you had a uh, laptop that was capable of handling an SD card or even uh, a tablet these days, you could uh, potentially take the You can still do that analysis in flight if you uh, really wanted to do it. Yes,
8: of course. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Absolutely. Now, um, Windows and Mac or Windows only? This is Windows. Yeah. Any plans to bring it to Mac? I have to ask that because we have a lot of Mac listeners.
8: At the moment, no. We're first trying to develop a market around this. Um, Software on the PC is already in Java, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, written in Java. (laughs) That won't make any Apple person happy. (laughs) We got it as as platform independent as we can by using Java already. Yeah, yeah. But still... You know, what can you, you do? Really, yeah, what can you do? Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, what, uh, what what does it cost? The the base version is uh, fifteen hundred ninety five right. dollars, inclusive GST. No surprises. The cables come with it. The software comes with it. That's it. Yeah. The version that connects to the Dynan is uh, a bit more expensive. It's nineteen hundred twenty five, inclusive everything. And the, in the in the same price region, we're looking to um, to release the next version. Um, within a few months that will have external sensor capability to right. look at engine speed and engine temperatures and other temperatures as well.
1: And uh, Peter, you're from the Netherlands originally, but uh, you've been living here in Australia. You've developed this uh, unit here in Australia, which is uh, really positive news. Yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, where can we find you online if people would like to find out more about the Wingmate?
8: Um, we're at uh, www.wingmateavionics.com
1: wingmateavionics.com Peter, thanks very much for spending some time with us. Thank you. Thank you. Well, social media and new media is where it's at, and we found some other people doing that today. I'm talking to Andrew Trickett here from uh, Sport Pilot TV. Andrew, welcome.
9: Thank you very much. And welcome to the new media aviation scene. Yeah, thank you very much. It's uh, it's our first shoot here at, uh, at Natfly. Um, we figured it's an ideal place to, to get a lot of material... Um, and build it up into an archive before we go live in in July. Right, so uh, what what other events have you been doing? Well, you're just saying Netfly is your first shoot, so uh, what other plans have you got? The first one, aside from sticking uh, GoPros to various uh, equipment and getting some real action shots... uh and it's, this, is, this is the build-up for it. And the, you know, with the amount of material that's at Nap Fly, the amount of aircraft on display, the amount of people walking around that we can talk to, we just thought it's a perfect spot to start. Absolutely. And
1: uh, tell me about your flying background. You obviously have an interest in aviation, or you wouldn't be doing this.
9: Yeah. So um, I'm uh, reasonably new. In fact probably very new compared to a lot of the people here, um, I've only been flying for about a year and a half, and just uh, pretty much for Christmas, New Year's present to myself, I passed my pilot certificate, and then I've uh, just been working hard on cross-country, so yep. I finished my cross-country, and uh, it was also my first fly down here from Bathurst uh, to Tomorrow. Yep, so what have you, what uh, sort of aircraft have you been flying? So I started out in the uh, Jabiru J160, the yep. school itself that I'm flying with um, is... Uh, basically all Jabaroos at the moment Um, we do have uh, Cessna's as well the 172 is is available via the um, Bathurst Aero Club but uh, yeah so J160 170 and 230 so far
1: now your background obviously uh, you guys you've got quite a crew here assembled today so you've got some background
9: in uh, video production as well um, background from a while ago: did some video production, but I've been in the IT industry for a long time, and I think that's uh, as, as we probably all understand. As you were saying earlier, we've got this mix now of, of media and the availability of media, and it's all coming through IT. Um, once something is is converted into a digital format it can spread anyway yep and uh, we found with our show that you know it, it not only you
1: know people in Australia listen to it but you can spread the message about Australian aviation which is what we do all around the world and uh, you know it gets such traction and it's so comparatively inexpensive compared to say 10 15 years ago
9: yeah I agree basically the reason I chose a TV website was that I didn't want to keep it centralized in Australia the idea is to, to allow as you say international people to, to tap into this uh, video and um, and an you know, aircraft that's flying in Australia, and perhaps we'll do some footage uh, over in the states and in other countries as well.
1: Yep. So your your focus is not only on Australian aviation, but wherever you can get aviation, that's the
9: idea. Yeah. The key the key component to the uh, sportpilot.tv TV uh, website will be recreational aviation, and that doesn't just exclude GA. Basically flying for fun, not commercial. And it's supposed to be a little bit Top Gear, I guess. You know, um, there's no real Top Gear type uh, uh, TV show out there for recreational pilots. You've got a few out there that have people flying jet aircraft and flying with the raft and so on but I wanted something that was showing people how much fun it is to fly all these different types of aircraft whether it be a gyro a fixed wing, uh, a powered chute etc. Do you think you will pitch your show more directly at the niche for people that get flying, people that understand flying? Do you think you might try and maybe present it more to the broader audience as well? That's a very good question Um, one of the segments that that we want to produce is um, we're trying to think of a name for it, I mean it could be called Adventure Bound but the idea is to get to show and demonstrate the fun that you can have in flying and how much it allows you to, to travel to a different place very quickly and experience it from a lot higher up. I remember one of my first flying instructors saying, you know, it's always very cool to have a skill that not everybody
1: else has got, So, but it's, it's also nice to be able to show other people that anyone can do it really if they put their mind to it.
9: Yeah, I think that, that initial challenge I've heard of people that have gone off and uh, worked really hard. To, to get all the way to their certificate or even just to their first solo and they've you know they've obviously had to learn how to land the plane before the instructors let them take it off on a first solo <laughs> yeah. but as soon as they've done their first solo they've gone, well, that, that's it, thank you very much I've, I've achieved that challenge they might not have gone on but it, it, a lot of it is about that challenge sometimes Fantastic, so it's at sportpilot.tv and you're going live in July you said? Going live, first episode in July www.sportpart.tv We'll be watching and
1: uh, great to see some more people doing new media and aviation. Fantastic to see. Thank you very much. Good to meet you. Cheers. Cheers. flight, fly your plan with AusRunways. Runways Runways turns any iPad or iPhone into a full featured moving map GPS complete with all the official Australian aviation charts. Runways is Australia's most feature-packed, cost-effective and easy-to-use electronic flight bag complete with AIP, URSA, DAP East and West, flight planning and much more. You can even submit your flight plan direct into NAPES. With annual subscriptions starting at only $74.99, it's the perfect flying companion whether you rent or own your own aircraft. For your free one-month trial, search for AusRunways EFB in the iTunes store or visit ozrunways.com. AusRunways. Know where you're going.
2: Want something different to talk about on Monday? Get yourself a JetRide gift pack and tear through the skies at 900 k's with Australia's ultimate jet fighter experience. Be Top Gun for the day. Go to jetride.com.au slash PCDU or in Australia call 1300 554 876.
0: Take off for the adventure
10: of a lifetime with OzAir Services and the Turridon Flying School, where you can live out your passion and learn to fly. Book a personalised charter flight to Lake Eyre, Flinders, and King Island, or anywhere in Australia, or enjoy an adventure flight for yourself or as a gift with scenic and aerobatic flights in the classic Tiger Moth on weekends. Take flight with OzAir Services at the Turridon Flying School. Go to ozairservices.com.au.
0: I'm James Williams from Podcasters Emporium and you're listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, now proudly part of the Lifestyle Pod Network.
1: Okay, we're here with uh, Graham from Stall Aviation Services. Graham, thanks for spending some time with us. Not a problem. Tell us all about air safaris. How's that business going these days?
11: Going good. We've been running for 27 years. We started in a little way with one aircraft and now we specialise in uh, taking two or three of our own aircraft and quite a number of tag alongs We usually average five or six aircraft per trip that's the outback trips. We do trips of five or four days to to fourteen days duration, and we try and visit all the small outback places that you can't get to by other means. You know, especially we specialise in pubs where you can fly in and land at the bar door, oh. and have good easy transport. We should get in on that bench, shouldn't we? I reckon yeah. we should. Yeah, 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 we should. So, what sort of aircraft do you have in your fleet? We've got four Cessnas. And we also got the Technum dealership, and we sell the Technum. We've got three Technums as well, which we use for training and that sort of thing. But for the outback tours, we use three Cessnas, we uh, four Cessnas. We run a, Cess- a six-seater 206 ourselves, and we've got a couple of 172s with big engines in them, 200 horsepower engines, which we can, uh, you know, do good charter work in. Yep. And then we hire out the other ones to come behind us, you know. And we, we specialize in, leading inexperienced pilots and people who haven't been into the outback very much before and them good guidance and uh, we find that after one or two trips they go away on their own very happy and they're happy to fly anywhere over, all over Australia. Yeah,
1: we, we know about a lot of uh, people that come from overseas to do these safaris and I guess the US market would be probably big for you if I had to guess. Is that the case these days or is the dollar killed Not much kill the
11: US market, no. We get a lot of New Zealanders, a lot of people from New Zealand, but mainly Aussies that we get. Right, uh, Most of our, a lot of our advertising is word of mouth. We do advertise in our own area and in Melbourne a little bit, but mainly it's word of mouth. We specialise in the Outback Channel Country lake air tours, Last year we did 15 of those tours and the year before 19 of those tours and uh, we know a lot of people through the outback, we know a lot of stories of the outback and we try and keep people entertained as we go along.
1: Absolutely, it tells about Lake Eyre at the moment, I believe it's spectacular
11: at the moment. It's been spectacular, the water's going down a bit now, the evaporation is horrendous and you've got to realise that when you get strong winds from a particular direction the water shifts around, if there's a strong southerly, the water will go north. And that'll expose, the the yeah, push the water out over dry country and, of course, the soakage see, the soakage, and the evaporation is very, very high. So, it, yeah, it's going down pretty well. Yeah. But I haven't been up there since the end of November last year. We'll be up there very shortly, but it's getting, you know, the water's going down pretty well now. But the Channel Country looks magnificent. And is that your most popular tour at the moment? Or? Well, our most popular tour of the longer tours is our Kimberley Broom tour where we go up through central Queensland, we go right up through the Gulf Country, Birk Town. We cross through Mataranka, right up to Coinda, then we go down to Cannonara and we do a three-day tour around Cannonara, do the, the farming areas, we do with the Ord River, send them up the river, Ord River tour, then across uh, across through uh, the Risedale River Station, across to Broome, then we come back across the bottom of the Kimberley and across to Halls Creek, down across the Tanami to Alice Springs, we have two days in Alice Springs, and then we come down south, come down via Lake Eyre, William Creek Lake Eyre. Broken Hill and back to stall. Sounds like a pretty full itinerary. Yeah, it is, yes. Val our assistant, she does all the flight planning and we are able to give all the tag-along people who come with us uh, a full set of notes, a full set of tracks and distances and all the accommodation's done, all the ground travel's done, all the buses are booked and everywhere we need transport, it's all organised before we get there.
1: When you say you have your tag-along pilots, what's required of them when
11: they come to Obviously you've got to check them out. We give it? them a check out and if they hire aircraft, we give a good check out. A lot of people bring their own aircraft. We make sure they're flying well and we also make sure their navigation is up to scratch. We also, when we're leaving area, we might have five or six aircraft. We, we encourage them to all give us a departure and the heading they're tra- tracking outbound on. And we can tell from that if everything's okay, you know, if they've got the right track and everything's going well. Plus, we keep check of them, their distances from the destination all the time, so as we know where everybody is, so that we don't lose anybody. Last year we did the Canning Stock Route twice, which was a very interesting tour. 1,800 kilometres of two-wheel tracks in the Spinifex, and we took seven aircraft down and brought seven home. Oh, so we beautiful. We were very pleased with that. We stayed at well 33 on the Canning Stock Route, which was a real experience. It's an Aboriginal community, and we had a wonderful time. It was really an outback tour. Sounds magnificent. Mm-hmm. What about the Kiwi pilots? You see you got a lot of Kiwi pilots come we over We get here. a few Kiwis come over and we get a lot of Kiwi passengers. And uh, we've got a couple of people over there who have travelled with us a lot and they're very good ambassadors for us and they send us couples over. Or if we get inquiries from New Zealand, we do advertise a little bit in New Zealand, we can say to them, ring your Kiwi friends and have a talk to them. They've travelled with us a couple of three times. They'll tell you all about it and they're very, very good at sending them to us. It's, it's, it's just good having the, the whole tag-along thing you know just tra- tra- traveling
3: in numbers saves uh you know going out and you know potentially getting lost yourself but at least even if if something does happen because we're talking single engine aircraft in places you know like like tanami and all that that are very you know inhospitable if something does does, travel, right, yeah. does happen but at least you know that the next aircraft in the pack is not that far away That's so at least right. You're going to have somebody to give positions to to uh, search and rescue to come and get you. Yeah, Richard. we've had
11: that happen once. We had one fellow go down and in a recreation aircraft actually had it. wasn't his fault. <clears throat> he had a fuel electrical problem, fuel pump failure. He put it down on a, on a station track 84 nautical miles northwest of Lake Eyre. And would you believe he had a built-in ELT and before he got to the ground, uh, Air Services had located him. They had his had position marked with the ELT how good they were. The technology
1: he, is amazing, isn't it? It
11: is its amazing, yes. and They had the police for moving the Natter out and had him picked up before dark and they took him into town, had him all bedded down at the pub and him and his wife are very happy with it. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Okay, now if people want to find out more about
1: uh, stall Aviation Services, where can they yeah, find out ww
11: stallaviation.com.au Nice and easy. Mm-hmm. Or give us a phone call. We're only too happy to talk to and you. And what's the phone number? 04, uh, 0428... Five zero one six
1: zero zero. Fantastic, right. Thanks very much for spending some
11: time no with worry, us. No worry, not a problem.
1: Thank you. All right, I'm here with Chris Brennan from Air Creation Australia. Chris, thanks for spending some time
10: with us. How you doing, Steve? Very good. All right. Uh, now you're all the way down here from Alice Springs. We are indeed. We went uh, two and a half thousand k's from that fly uh, down the middle and across, and we're here. The weather's beautiful.
1: Yep. Now you're flying uh, an aircraft that's a little bit different to what we've, the other aircraft we've been seeing today.
10: Uh, tell us yeah, about what you do. They're sexy. Yeah, yeah, Microlites, Flaxwings, strikes. Uh, originally started out as powered hang gliders. Uh, they come in a range of different types of models, but um, yeah, we import them from France, and we've got the Tsnag 912i access here.
1: Now, um, I spoke to some operators of a similar type of aircraft to this last year, but this one
10: looks a little bit more high tech than that, but uh, running in the Rotex 912. It is running the Rotax 912. The Tanag is actually named after a mountain just near the factory called Mount Tanag. It represents something quite unique and a bit of an icon in the industry where it has uh, chromoly construction, three-wheel disc brakes, very, very comfortable ergonomics for long flights, Uh, low drag coefficient, so we, we burn about nine litres an hour at 62 knots. Nine litres an hour is pretty efficient. In this model, yeah. yeah. They've just released uh, the Bionics wing, which is a brand new concept in flex wing. It's the first patent flex wing in the world where they can adjust, you as the pilot can adjust the sail on the airframe and you have a stall speed of 22 knots and a VNE of 99 knots and you can select <laughs> the fly at any speed in that range. So it's, it's a hell of a range. Yeah, saves so you having a slow wing or a fast wing if you want to go... In the paddock and Musto, you needed a slow wing, and then you wanted, you wanted to go somewhere where well, you needed to swap wings and you need to cruise at 70, 80 knots, where the Bionics now, yeah, it'll be here in uh, June. Yeah. We have a order going to Karatha, and uh, yeah, one of the new ones, can't wait. Lovely, sounds cool. Yeah.
1: Now tell us about Air Creation Australia, what, what do they do up there at Alice Springs? Air
10: Creation Australia is uh, basically me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's been 17 years in the making of uh, being the distributor of air creation it's been a bit of a long road 9532 which is our controlling order was originally put together back in 1990 and uh, didn't really allow imported lights into the country based on a certain amount of wording uh, I started in 1994 to bring French strikes in Having quite a bit of experience in the Australian market with uh, the Aussie products, Airborne, and English products from um, Main Air and Pegasus. But um, yeah, a bit of endurance and patience and dedication. In 2007, 9532 was changed and amended to allow imported aircraft from various countries. So it was a long process and it's probably a good thing because it allowed me to walk away from the industry for a little while. I've always flown and regather everything and Natfly 2012 is the, the stepping stone for the new air creation release into Australia where everything's legal and we've just built this trailer here or I've built this trailer over the last five years and hopefully we'll have a mobile um, satellite facility where we can travel to the stations on the roughest roads and teach people in the outback.
1: Yeah, so that's the idea is to teach people for tourist work, for cattle mustering, that sort
10: of stuff. Uh, mustering, yeah, they're really good, especially bore runs. Obviously, all aircraft have limita- limitations, whether it be a, a micro light, ultralight, or a gyrocopter. But there's applications and, and situations where the aircraft are really, really viable and economical, and you know, fun as well. If you've ever sat for seven hours doing a bore run in a troopy, like a Toyota, <laughs> when you can do the same run in two hours in the morning in a micro light. I think you go the Michael I I think even I might uh, give up the troopy for that, I'll tell you. <laughs> but we can land in 30, you know, as small as 30 metres and we can climb at 2,000 foot a minute. And um, yeah, there's a lot of guys out in central Australia where the properties, my father in law's property is as big as Sydney. Well, one, yeah. st- one station. Sure. You know, you can fly for three and a half hours and you'll just hit the eastern boundary. That's, that's not amazing. flying the boundary. That's just flying to the boundary. the boundary. Yeah. the boundary, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah so, no, it's quite amazing. And I've flown in lots of countries. Uh, not many countries, but I've flown in Africa and in France and Italy. And, but flying Central Australia, it, it, it's a very volatile environment. It's, you don't have any indicators like smokestacks and lakes. You don't know where the wind's coming from because it's all basically the same. And there's no telltale triggers to let you know what you're doing in the air. And the other factor is there's very few places to land in lots of situations where it's so rocky, beautiful, no, ancient, magnificent, but dangerous. Treacherous. If you, if you were coming in Yeah, uh, in so, you situation. know, you've always got to have that plan B. But with the 912s and, you know, the design of the aircraft, it's up to you to be responsible for your actions, good airmanship, make sure you're playing safe and airworthy and got enough fuel for what you want to do, and then... That's it. Just go and do the ride, you know. But always have that plan B if you can. If it's looking a bit dangerous, well, yeah, yeah. yeah what, what kind of training is involved in, in
3: in converting into something like a micro for a, If for you've a got to
10: prior uh, flight experience in conventional controlled aircraft stick rudder, as they call it, you will need to do a minimum of 10 hours conversion training. Obviously, depending on the pilot and the situation of the training as well, some people will convert a lot easier. Um, some people fly by, pull the stick back, other up we go. Other ones fly by, attitudes to meaning. We we'll do whatever it takes to make the picture outside what you want to see. So if you've got to pull back, push forward, go sideways, whatever you got to do, and you want that aircraft to climb because it's descending towards the ground, we'll do whatever it takes yeah. to get the picture right. So, but most people convert quite readily and easily. Yeah, it's just a matter of. Applying yourself correctly and away you go, you know. Same as if you want to go from weight shift to conventional. The difference is that the controls are completely the opposite. Yeah. We've talked to
1: people before that uh, run run similar, you know, sort of operations that say that's the biggest challenge for people yeah. coming from. Yeah, you've I've got to a think, you react, think backwards almost, you know.
10: In a way, yeah, I've had a few students try to wipe me out, <laughs> but not intentionally. It's just that, you know, the process in the event of an emergency, the brain has to make that quick yes or no decision what do I need to do to make the aircraft. Position itself where I want it to be, you know, so yeah. but yeah, it's it's not that difficult. And, and um, if you follow the process, yeah, away you go. Away you go. Yeah, do, yeah. do you find you have many ab initio
3: type students come in and from no experience and, and jump Oh into the A lot of life?
10: them, a lot of them, if they've got sort of standard motor skills, good eyesight, and fairly, you know, uh, not clever. But, um, can read and write. <laughs> They'll be solo, you know, to the point of being able to command a trike because they're similar to a motorbike in weight shift control. Um, and I think the open cockpit experience and it's a little bit physical. Trikes are a physical thing to fly, you know. Um, people take motorcars because they can hit cruise control and off you go. But on a motorbike, why do you ride a motorbike? It's fun, it's breezy, it's open, it's yeah. it's energy in, on the ground, you know, but this is the same in the air, so, um just uh
1: best fun you can have. Yeah, Brilliant. very cool. Now yeah. you've got this very impressive trailer here and you said Natfly is the stepping stone. Has business been here for you?
10: Oh, pretty good. I've met with Steve Runciman, the President and um, Zane Tully and uh, we're looking to put, put together what we can do. The regulations are always a situation that we need to either abide by or try and get an exemption so that we can get around the regulations or orders but I think all in all we need to look at 2012. I think like all aviators do is is we're not in the 70s anymore, we're not in the 80s, and we're not even in the 90s. We need to apply ourselves so that people have flying at their doorstep. They don't have to come to our doorstep. That's the way I reckon we need to take the vision of flight because not everybody can get away from their properties for two weeks. Um, not everybody can leave their businesses. Um, and they also need to learn in the environment they're going to fly in. Yep.
1: You know? Bring flying to people. I don't think I could have put it better myself, mate. That's oh, yeah. what meets like this are all about. Flying crazy. Absolutely. Well, the way you say that, mate, where's where now people want to find you on the web? Where can they do that?
10: Uh, they can go to, obviously, www.aircreation.com.au. Absolutely,
1: that's yeah. fantastic. Chris, uh, all
10: but the best with your business style
1: venture. But and and your finders, and
10: thank you very much.
1: It's been a pleasure, Steve. Okay, I'm here with uh, Greg Robertson from uh, Best of Aircraft Australia, and we're standing next to an interesting aircraft called the Ninja. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, the uh, the
12: Ninja was... Uh, it, it, it's an offshoot from the, the Sky Ranger, which was designed... Uh, by uh, Philippe Prevot in France in uh, 1992. Uh, The design concept behind it is uh, Phil set out to design an aircraft that was of the lightest uh, possible construction, the strongest construction and something that could be uh, built and uh, maintained by anyone anywhere in the world. So um, it's all uh, manufactured from straight aluminium tubes that bolt together the uh, the original Sky Ranger flew in 1992. Uh, there are now approximately 1,400 of them flying all around the world. And the Ninja is, uh, a, a, I guess, a, an upmarket version of the Sky Ranger. It's um, it was launched in uh, 2009. The uh, construction is identical. Uh, it's a little bit cleaner aerodynamically. They've they've done away with the uh, fabric on the rear fuselage, and that's now uh, covered with um, a demountable fiberglass panels. So the fuselage is largely a lot cleaner. They still use the same wing as the Sky Ranger Swift, uh, but it's, it's about 10 knots faster. It'll cruise at 100 knots. But retains the uh, the low speed handling of the Sky Ranger and stalls at 34 knots.
1: And just for our listeners, we're looking at a high wing aircraft with fabric covered wings, and looks like it's a two seater. And I see a Rotex uh, label there on the engine. Uh, yes, that's right. Um, it's a Rotex uh, 912
12: ULS. Um, very popular engine, I found at this meet. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, uh, they are very, very popular, uh, and probably one of the most reliable piston engines ever made for aircraft. So. Very uh, not cheap to buy initially, but certainly um, uh, one of the most reliable and, in the long run, one of the cheapest. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, what sort of avionics packages? You sort of keep it rather basic. You were saying that you wanted to achieve uh, as light a weight as possible, yeah. so you don't want to load it up too much with uh, too many things.
12: The uh, the avionics are largely uh, up to the builder. Uh, the builder can put pretty much anything they want in. Um, some of them are now going for full glass screens. Um, uh, mine is, or uh, this, this particular one is, um, uh, analog instruments that that I prefer. Um, but uh, glass screens are the, the coming thing, and uh, uh, it's up to the builder's personal um, tastes and what sort of avionics they put in there.
1: Yeah. Now this one we're looking at here, you said you can get about 100 knots out of it. What's uh, some of the other important speeds? Uh, stall speed of interest. I always find of interest. It's always very low in these aircraft. I find. Uh,
12: yes, it, it, um, the the Ninja and the Sky Ranger both stall at uh, 34 knots. Uh, normal uh, VNO is is uh, 97 knots. Um, so they they're, they're they're quite good in, in, in turbulence. A clean stall is 38 knots, uh, but with two stages of flap it brings it down to 34 knots. So, um, quite a short um, takeoff and landing aircraft, and um, uh, one that handles very, very well. Uh, used extensively in Europe as a, as a trainer. Uh, but unfortunately, we can't use them here as trainers because they're a uh, they're, they're home build.
1: And uh, what sort of fuel consumption would you be looking at in the cruise? At a fast cruise, probably uh,
12: 21, 22 litres an hour, but at, at sort of economy cruise, 90, 95 knots uh, around about 18 litres an hour, 17 to 18 litres an hour.
1: Right, right. Now, I note with interest that this one that we're looking at here is actually VH registered, so there's obviously not a problem there as long as it's done right? Uh, yes, that's that's correct. I guess the only stipulation is that uh,
12: for VH registered, uh, you need a, a PPL to uh, uh, to fly it. Um, but uh, it, it is easier to get access uh, to uh, uh, controlled zones um, and this, this particular one's got is fitted with a transponder, um, so it complies with um, uh, with all the regulations.
1: All the regulations, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, how have you found that flight this year? It's been a little bit quieter, I sort of think this year. But how have you found it?
12: Uh, yeah, it's certainly quiet, and it's been the last two years. Although we've had beautiful weather. Um, yeah, I don't know why the people haven't come, uh, but there are a number of exhibitors uh, that that aren't here this year that have been here in the last couple of years. So from that perspective, it's a little disappointing, but uh, uh, it is what it is. It is um, what it is. It's uh, lovely. Yeah. Where can people find out more about uh, your, your company? Um, the, the easiest way is uh, uh, au. Thanks very much for your time. Well, thank you. Thank you.
1: OK, well, it's been a pretty quiet uh, Natfly this year, I think, with a lot of the uh, exhibitors here sort of saying things have been a little bit down, but that's not the case for Oz Runways, is it, Baz?
13: Yeah, we didn't notice it. <laughs> it's, been, it's been mayhem. Week, well, I came here on Wednesday to set up and on Thursday. and So Friday, when, you, when you came here, that was when the mayhem started? or is it uh, Not quite. I didn't get a lot of people. Uh, uh, well, let's just say I didn't wear my Oz Runways T-shirt uh, the first days I was there. There wasn't any show, show on, so hopefully no. not too many people. Uh, I was more talking about your flying skills, actually. My but. flying skills? No, no. It was very uneventful. Um <laughs> Well, yeah, it's been it's been really, really busy. We did two talks in the hangar on uh, Friday, which we like to call more of a sales pitch, Uh, and then we did the masterclass this morning and Saturday, and it was uh, there was standing room only. There must have been about 300 people there uh, at one stage, and uh, it just and the stand that we we are now at and shutting down for this year. Um, non-stop. I mean, Dean didn't even get to... Uh, one of our little helpers uh, didn't even get to give, have lunch today, I don't think.
1: Well, speaking of helpers, Bez, why don't you uh, introduce uh, our listeners to some other of the Oz Runways
13: crew? Well, sitting next to me is uh, Rowan Wilson. How you going? Uh, and uh, Rowan is uh, my original partner in this uh, venture. And um, uh, we started this, what, about two years ago we got together?
4: Yeah, about two years ago, um, Bass and I were both working on the same project. So I originally uh, created the NAPES app and uh, we met each other on a forum. I said g'day and said why don't we have some beers together and see how we can do it together. So we went to the Roulette's Bar in Parafield, had some beers and Joined forces essentially, and two years later, this is what you've got now. Yeah, I can recommend the Rulettes Bar after being there the other week, but
13: <laughs> yeah, for a pub is not a bad meal, is it? It's not bad,
1: and it's interesting that you say that because I think that's about the same way playing crazy Dan under started—a you know, flying club over a beer
13: or two. So, there you go. Well, the, actually, the first time Rowan and I met was was quite funny because uh, that was what a year before that probably. Yeah, uh, that's right. We were at the Jamestown Air Show in uh, in SA, and I landed behind this uh, yellow RV and parked next to him. We said, hi, nice airplane, nice airplane, went our separate ways. And then when we started talking again, I saw a picture of the plane. I said, I'm I'm sure I landed behind you at at Jamestown. And yeah, that's the way it was.
1: Now, uh, Rowan, you know, you talk about flying little planes like that, but you actually fly some
4: planes that are just a little bit bigger than that. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm in the Air Force uh, at 11 Squadron at the moment. And uh, I've been doing that about four years now, flying the P3. Right. Um, We mostly do uh, Coast Watch patrols up out of Darwin and Learmonth and uh, the odd... Deployment to the Middle East. And you get about three deployments in your four-year tour, and then I'm off to East Sale in a couple of weeks to go on flight instructor course, and I'll be in Tamworth from August. Well, there you go. So uh, on CT4. There you go. So it'll be a little bit of a step down from flying the uh, the P3. Oh, it's, I think it'll be just as challenging trying to do a lesson with a plane that can only fly 300 feet per minute rate of climb in summer, <laughs> trying to plan the lesson out.
13: Do, doing aerobatics at 300 feet a minute climb. <laughs> yeah.
4: So without getting uh, too much into the way the you know, RAF
1: pilots operate and all that sort of stuff, it's, it's good that you've got the flexibility, obviously, to be able to spend time developing those
4: runways outside of that. Well, we spend about six or seven months on deployment a year away from home, and Uh, A lot of that's on search and rescue standby out of Darwin. And um, when you're not in work uh, or doing work-related things, you've got a lot of time off to do your own activities. So instead of watching movies all day, I guess I'll just get stuck into a bit of programming in my spare time and and just find a space for it there. Now tell us about the masterclass. You mentioned the masterclass
1: before. How is that different from the sales pitch?
13: Well, we really took a lot of the features that uh, we we know people, I wouldn't say struggling with, would like to know more about and uh, we went through them one by one in, in a slow pace how to do a flight plan uh, how to uh, do, do some specific things in the settings uh, that a lot of people might not have found yet on their own. And uh, that was very, very well appreciated. Like I said, it was a, it was a full house. And uh, I'd say next year we're going to try and find twice as big a hangar and probably take two hours so we can do an hour and a half of presentation and a half hour of questions or something. I think we need
4: a couple of extra aids as well next year.
13: Yeah. And I will most definitely be on that because we had Oz Runways in the plane on the yep, way out. we did. <laughs> and
3: uh tell you what, if Cassie actually officially comes to the party, that'd be great because it's the greatest thing since sliced bread
13: as far as I'm concerned. Well, we've been talking to KES, uh, a few castle representatives here, including people who work in the EFB group electronic flight back project and it's very encouraging I mean they, they want it and uh, it's just you know Casa works the way Casa works but the people in there are very supportive and, and they want it and this has to go through the motions and I think we're going to see some really positive news uh, pretty soon
1: well, I could tell you this weekend and we've been walking around here this weekend and uh, I could I reckon I could pick the time when the master class was on because there were people coming from all points of this airfield with iPads in their hands so and it was <laughs> they were coming from everywhere and I've heard a lot of good feedback about it this weekend I just I say that because I know you
4: Burbon but <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
1: We've had a lot of good feedback about it this weekend, so you you guys must be really, really
4: pleased with this meat for sure. We are, and uh, it's been a tiring couple of days, and I think we need some beers. (laughs) Yep, I reckon that'll be the next stop. It's been a busy day for us.
13: (laughs) Yeah, and what would really, from the moment I touched down, really on Wednesday here, I was talking to people and they say, oh yeah, I flew you know from Perth just using those runways. And uh flew from, from Darwin and was using those runways the whole way. And uh, it's just really encouraging and, and we're really happy uh, not just you know from our personal view that it's such a success, but you know we're really happy that everyone's enjoying using it and that's the most important thing and that's why why we did it. First we did it because we wanted a program like this ourselves, it didn't exist. Thought we could uh, make some other people happy with it and get some flying money and now it's just taken off in such a way that we can you know, we've got a v- big. Well, not a big. We've got a we've got a good growing company, and we can keep supporting people. And you know, with the support from the people buying the licences, we can keep making it better.
4: Absolutely. We get the uh, odd email every now and again from someone who's their life saved from from using it, which is pretty good to hear. Pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. And uh, the CASA guys have said it's the first time since the airspace incursion statistics have actually gone down. That's that's
3: one thing that um, I'm hoping it actually it helped me go around the Albury control zone when we came up here because one particular leg of our track took us very close to the Albury control zone so it kept us out of, out of the way there so we're hoping you know as a personal level as a controller I'm hoping that it does help people stay out outside of controlled airspace because a lot of the the VCA's that we do get are just people unintentional oh yeah of course it, it, they're unintentional then people you know, just accidentally wander into the, the wrong spot but if they've got All of the features of the runways with the position tracking and things like that with the geo referencing on the maps they can tell exactly where they are
4: and hopefully they keep in mind too that you know they've got to avoid it by two miles and they can't just skirt around the line (laughs) who
13: who are you talking about
4: (laughs) do we use the word allegedly a lot in this show
1: don't we yeah
13: allegedly allegedly there was a radio call by me saying that was actually only a mile and a half away and Allegedly, that's been used in a briefing uh, in Casa on uh, near, exactly. near near vi- near violations. Actually, it wasn't a violation; it was a near violation. Actually,
1: Baz, I, actually, Bez, I have some inside information that that fancy headset you bought at Oshkosh allegedly wasn't working too that's, well. That's
13: because I spent wa- that's because I spilt water on it. <laughs> the next morning after it dried out, it was fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. We were at the. Uh, it worked well enough I for
13: did. him for for ATC Ben to uh, identify who actually he was I, talking.
1: Yeah. I, I
3: didn't understand what he was saying, but I definitely recognised the accent. So if it makes you feel any better.
1: Uh, uh, ATC BEM was uh, razzed all the way up here by every second controller we spoke to on the yeah. way up. so don't worry, you can rest easy on that I just wonder before we wrap up here you asked a lot of questions last night at that Q&A session you had what was the most common one do you think what's the most common bit of feedback you're getting what's a feature I guess that
4: people want incorporated the most the most common question is usually in relation to the GPS and is it a real GPS and does it use cell phone triangulation and the answer to that is it's a real GPS
13: and it just uses it uses the cell towers to get a qu- fix quicker. But once it's got a fix, it's pure satellite-based GPS, and you will get a fix in the middle of nowhere, even if you got, haven't got a self-tower for a 1,000 miles.
1: So you're finding more a fascination
4: with the technology that uh, goes be- behind it rather than uh, people looking for more features? So being pilots, everyone likes to know how their equipment works, which is which is good to know for good professionalism. Yep. So if they don't know how it exactly works... You know, we have to explain it now the inevitable
1: question i know you get asked this a lot but uh, a lot of my listeners ask me this so i'm going to put it on to you android it's not happening for us runways is it
13: not yet well once once there's a good business case for it uh, once people start really <laughs> buying a lot of them yep. we have we have a lot of customers that don't have any tablets at all or maybe not even a smartphone at all and uh, they see us runways and they don't care which device it runs on so that's the majority of our, our customers and once it starts to make business sense you know we're like a successful company and we want to stay successful so once there's the business case we'll be right on it
1: I think people don't seem to understand that it's not just a case of uh, just doing a quick recode over into Android is no, it no it's, it's not a big thing.
13: it's two for the price of two if you want to run on two, two platforms so we, we don't have the time to do it ourselves now like we had before with those runways because we've got a company to support which means we're going to have to hire people to write this for us
4: and good programmers uh, don't come cheap it's they're, they're hard to find
13: grand. they're hard to find they don't come cheap they'll spend two guys spend a year on it and if the business case is there we'll, we'll invest that money but at the moment uh, we are kind to finish spend all our energy and, and our, invest all our energy in those Runways for uh, Apple products and uh, make it the best electronic flight back out there that we can make it
1: and just from an east coast perspective I've had quite a few people ask me this Baz um, when are you guys coming over to the east coast Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane
13: we've done a few we, they haven't been really high profile We've, we've, especially Neil who lives on the central coast New South Wales he's been flying up and down that stretch and visiting various uh, clubs and uh, when Neil unfortunately isn't here because he's on holiday uh, but when he's back uh, we've got to set up some dates we, we've got some invitations to go to tie up and, and tour it in and Uh, people wanting us to come to uh, Moorabbin to the uh, Royal Aero Club there Uh, and we need to set that up and set up some tour dates and uh, go up uh, up the east coast as well Yep, people can
1: find that out at uh, ozrunways.com and they can find you funny enough at ozrunways on Twitter
13: Yes they can and uh, if you go to ozrunways.com even if you're not a customer uh, yet in which case you probably would be on the mailing list but if you're not a customer yet uh, type your email address in on the mailing list sign up and we'll keep you informed No worries
1: Well, Baz, Rowan, you guys have been superstars here this weekend and uh, Baz, you owe me again for saying that and uh, we'll see you again next time. (laughs) Thanks,
13: Steve. Uh... Thanks. (laughs)
1: Well, Ben, what a busy day we've had here. Uh, i tell you what, when Cameron's not around, we have to do a lot of work, don't we? Oh, I'll tell you what, I don't know how he does it. Well, in fact,
3: I do know how he does it. It's yeah, we've both found out how he does it. it got, got, got to do with copious amounts of uh,
1: Red Bull and uh, other things like that, this is how he gets the energy to do all this, because I'm going to sleep very, very well tonight. The weather has been uh, very good here at Tamora this year. It has been a bit windy. Haven't seen so many uh, media flights. We didn't actually see any media flights, which is unfortunate, but uh, uh, not so many planes flying as we saw last year, but the people that were here were having a great time and that's good to see.
3: It's all about the community and that, that's one thing being this is the first one of these sort of style air shows I've, I've come to and uh, it's given me a good insight to what to expect at Oshkosh because it, everyone here is, is all about the aviation. Yeah. It's, a, it's a little bit different to the Avalon where a lot of the uh, defenders at Avalon there aren't there for the aviation so much as to uh, actually be um, be there to sell, sell their wares and, and make, make some money out of it. Um, or in the case of the corporate jet people there make a lot of money out of it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely a different community here and uh, that's what we found last year when we were here. People here that have come from all different walks of aviation, people that are coming in and, and looking at this sector as something because it's more cost effective but also people that have perhaps been to the other end of GA, people that have perhaps getting on in years and still want to enjoy flying but not have to have so many regulations uh, dogging them and that's, that's uh, you know, certainly an advantage and we see a lot of that here and it's, it certainly just adds to a great community spirit. The, the amazing thing about RA is is a lot of these aircraft
3: have a lot you know, a, you'd, you'd say more modern. Uh, it's, it's it's just a lot, a lot of more glass cockpit sort of technology than uh, than the good old Romeo Charlie Romeo that we flew up here in. Uh, which the most modern thing in that is is the Garmin four hundred and thirty that it has in the dash. <laughs> um, it, it's just amazing too with. A, the big uptake of, uh, of, of Rotax as, as the power plant of choice uh, and uh, and when we were in the, the 2006 Technam, 2006 Tango there uh, earlier today and mm. that, that's just an amazing aircraft. It's four-seat twin-engine aircraft gets along at 140 knots and uh, at a very miserly 40 litres an hour, thank you.
1: Yeah, I really think that you look at aircraft like that and, it, you know, the, the more traditional uh, GA manufacturers are really going to have to start looking really hard at what some of these companies are doing or, you know, they're struggling now. They're going to struggle more. Well, you, you look at, um, I mean, I've got I've got a type rating in
3: in two, uh, sorry, three GA aircraft. Uh, two of them are six-seater, so they don't really count. But uh, I've flown the Seminole before and the Seminole... Burns 40 litres an hour per engine, <laughs> and and it does 100 about 135 knots, depending on on how low the model, seven you're talking about. But um, the fact that this aircraft can do that, half the fuel burn on it, and it, and it still has the dual carb engines on it. So when the new engines come out to actually put the fuel injection on it, uh, there's there's talks of of, of a further reduction in the fuel burn again, and and you're talking no reduction in speed on that. Yeah. So it's it's just going to be amazing what what's going to be capable of it, and um, and the twenty twelve, uh, Technam t- tech twenty twelve, which is going to be an amazing aircraft by the looks, looks of what what we saw today on the on the promotions board there down at Technam, It was just amazing that this airplane is going to replace the chieftain and it will be able to do it much more efficiently
1: yep yep uh, it's, it's really been uh, it's really amazing to see this technology we'll certainly be covering it more as time goes on we want to thank uh for uh, allowing us to come here today and uh, do our stuff here we didn't have the mobile studio set up this year and uh that's a little bit unfortunate, but uh, we still managed to get around with the Zoom recorder. We've got uh, quite a few photos we'll put up on the website. But, uh, Ben, I think we're going to go and have some dinner and uh, head back and uh, get a night's nice rest and uh, pile into Romeo Charlie Romeo and head back to Lillydale tomorrow.
0: Yeah, and
3: uh, hopefully the, the, uh, the weather gods will be kind to us and uh, we... And we can get a little bit less than uh, 20 knots on the nose on the way home. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens tomorrow. But
1: uh, food and beer is on the agenda, I believe. Absolutely. Well, the main thing is we're going flying and uh, that's all I really care about. I do it so infrequently these days. Well, that's right. And as as somebody from another podcast always says, time span flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Nice agree to that theory. Never a truer word spoken. That's right. Well, that's it from Natfly 25 this year. We'll be back after this.
7: Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types, online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy-and-sell aviation community at aviation.
14: There's a new aviation programme coming. Hi, I'm Peter Johnson from XTP Media, and with the support of the Royal Aeronautical Society and Global Aviation Resource, we'll bring you Extended, the ETOPS aviation programme, bringing longer and more detailed analysis
0: hey, this thing is real, here's what you're paying for, so... I think that's a really, really good point, Tim. I think people
14: need to see the aircraft in the flesh now. Views. It wasn't far away from British Airways. I've predicted pretty boldly that they won't exist. I was ready. You know, you hear stories about people panicking and being scared and excited and that. And guest interviews. And as we grow, those are the three key things we need to make sure. We're the only globally accredited aerobatic airlines. We've won Best Airport at the uh, Travel Weekly Globe Awards. and So to get more of this... That
1: was really um, a fantastic interview and a wonderful experience.
5: Wow, Peter.
2: Excellent. Nice, huh? I, that was really impressive. And he's done so much for uh, aviation podcast. We'll
14: bring you more of this.
2: <laughs> There's a question.
0: <laughs> How long is a piece of string?
14: And lots more about this. So join me along with Tim Robinson,
0: just in time for uh, you know people to kind of dust the sand out of the sand filters, uh, and away you go again.
14: <laughs> and Gareth Stringer. Everybody's been very impressed with what they've seen of the aircraft. And dial into a new frequency, extended.
4: Hi, this is Max Flight. Besides producing the Airplane Geeks podcast, I
12: run the 30,000 feet aviation directory. If you have a look at the aviation podcast page, you'll find links to literally dozens of aviation podcasts. Go have a look and listen to a few. Then come back here and get the real deal at Plane Crazy Down Under.
1: And welcome back, folks. And I'll tell you what, uh, there was a great uh, weekend up there at NatFly, and uh, I'll tell you what, the flying there and back was quite entertaining as well, Ben. It seems like a few of your air traffic control mates might have known you were up there.
3: It all went uh, downhill a little bit uh, when our first radio call for flight flying was uh, met by us being identified and uh, ended with the phrase of, and we're all watching you very closely.
1: <laughs> yes, in fact, uh, here's how it went. We basically, uh, we took off in Romeo, Charlie Romeo, and we, uh, we departed the circuit area there at Lilydale, and we were climbing up to, I don't know, Ben, what, two, two and a half thousand feet, and you said, oh, I might just... Uh, you know get ready and call Melbourne Centre and you said something to me along the lines of now nah, jeez I hope nobody uh, actually knows that it's me up here flying and uh, the <laughs> call basically came along something like uh, Romeo Charlie Romeo uh, identified and just out of the blue from somewhere came across the ether yippee <laughs> and, and you said damn it I've been pinged already yes
3: yeah, uh, so on the, on, that was that was on the way home and uh, that was uh, none other than uh, the man that goes by Soapy HB so uh, yes <laughs> well there yeah, you go cr- that was on the cr- way cr- home cr- Chris was watching us on the way home, and we did we did well. But uh, we the dreaded twenty knot headwind was there on the way home as well, um, and and some low cloud that uh, denied us some direct tracking over the the hills to the north of Melbourne.
1: You think so you
3: had, ta- had to take the scenic route back down around eldon uh, Weir yeah. and. Uh, down under, between the mountains there. Eh?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't wish to be critical of Sapi or anything, but if he was so busy uh, concentrating on uh, who was flying the aircraft, he might have just changed the wind around for us a bit if he was doing his job properly.
2: <laughs> I wish. Shift the vectors. But uh, I, I, I was wondering, though, if uh, this might have been the reason why uh, you didn't activate your flight plan coming back from your detour for fuel at um, Albury.
3: Yeah, we, we dropped into Albury for uh, for fuel for the airplane and for ourselves. And uh, on the way out, we didn't—I oh, didn't actually bother going for flight following because of where the uh, the cloud base was. I knew I wasn't actually going to get over the top of the mountains, and the radar's on the other side of those hills, so they weren't going to be able to see us to give us
1: flight following.
2: Yeah, yeah, and also they wouldn't know that you were in the air to be able to hassle you some more. <laughs>
1: (laughs) Maybe. Maybe, (laughs) maybe maybe indeed. I'll tell you what, we stopped in at Albury Airport for fuel. I don't know what was more expensive, the landing fees, the fuel or the food.
3: The landing fees at Albury are uh, are quite reasonable because all you're paying for is the the runway and the Tower. You're not paying to run, oh, let's say a certain trucking magnate's corporate jet collection.
1: Yeah, well, that's right.
3: Yes.
2: Ah, we we know which airports you're talking about there.
1: In fact, we should sum up here uh, just to give our friends, particularly over in the United States who are worried about user fees and costs of flying and all the rest, Uh, Ben, shall we say how much the flight costs? Cost it was a basically you know your basic four seater uh, Piper Warrior or Archer 5.8 hours Ben and uh, you know, do you want to tell us what the final bill was including fuel at uh, two dollars fifteen a litre at Albury and uh, landing fees and all the rest? Well I can tell you one
3: thing that including the fees the fees the fuel and everything else it uh, cracked four figures mm-hmm. so uh, it was an expensive Ow. little weekend however it uh, certainly beat 13 or 14 hours in the car.
1: Well, that's very true, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, ridiculously expensive and actually threw me into a bit of a funk ever since because I'm just despairing at how I'll ever afford to get current again at those sort of prices. In fact, I've been thinking it might even be cheaper to buy my own aircraft, but then again, that's probably insane as well.
3: You know, I've always had that thought in the back of my head of buying a nice aeroplane and flying it myself, but right after that thought comes this thought of going into the backyard, digging a, a pit, putting all my money in it, and setting it on fire. Yeah,
1: pretty much, yeah.
2: Yeah, well, no, 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 but all that would do is create smoke. At least a few... Like- like with an aircraft, you'd have a, a hole in the air that you throw money into, but it at least takes you places. Yeah,
1: That's true. That's, that's true. Well, in fact, uh, we're doing actually quite some research into that topic, and uh, that'll be the topic for discussion uh, in future episodes. We've actually already recorded some some stuff on that, and we'd, we'd like to pursue that a bit more in the future. So I think we'll call that a wrap for our coverage of NatFly this year. We're hoping for some more people to uh, head up there next year. Was As I said at the top there, uh, probably, well, I don't know, half the size it was last year. So I think that might just be a sign of the times a lot of the people we talk to there are quite... Uh, quite worried about the state of the economy, but I think um, hopefully, uh, you know, if, if things pick up worldwide over the next 12, 18 months, then uh, hopefully we'll see that, uh, you know, pushing through into our aviation sector here too. We want to see events like this keep going.
2: Yeah, mate, you, we can only hope that things turn around pretty quick. It's uh, pretty tough times everywhere at the moment, but uh, the numbers may have been down, but it'd be interesting to find out uh, just what the quality of attendees were uh, was like. Were there people, like not as many people, but more people buying that kind of thing? That would be an interesting one. To know or was it uh people turning up saying hi and doing the social side of it and not really buying anything new at the moment.
1: Yeah, I know uh, talking there to Chris Cabot there from the uh, from the Wagga Air Centre he's a Technam dealer and uh, I know he was saying that sales were quite significantly down this year. Interestingly I noticed that Technams are on the verge of bringing out some new single engine models that would we'll be pushing into the GA sector so I mean that could be a good thing uh, uh, What's that one band that you pointed out the other day is it the P2010 I think it is?
3: It was the P2010 and uh, it does look very similar to a, uh, to a 172 and Judge by the data that's available on the TECHNAM site. It looks like to be a a very good aircraft for uh, flying schools to
1: have a look at yeah it, it certainly it looks like a streamline 172 so you know i mean innovation is one of the factors that might bring more people uh, into the market who've got a bit of money that, uh, that want to invest in these sort of aircraft i guess uh, some of the more some of the bigger flying schools might look at these type of aircraft the other thing i notice uh, at the moment if you look on some of the websites like the trader or, or an aviation advertiser uh, there's a lot of uh, you know really good aircraft for sale at the moment secondhand aircraft that are uh, comparatively cheap if you're in the market for one so if you're buying an aircraft at the moment it seems to me like I mean you know, it's a buyer's market. I mean, you could get some good aircraft there for comparatively little money. That might make it a little difficult for people trying to sell new ones.
3: It could work either way, I suppose, but there is a lot of people probably now looking at things like the Technam 2010, Jabiru, all these alternatives to the usual. Um I mean, even the, the good old Skycatcher is nothing like the old 152s and 150s that uh, we all learned to fly in. So I think uh, the market now is the a lot of people who are getting into aviation who are uh, not just the students coming out of school that want to go to the airlines, people that move into into aviation later in life, I think, are, are looking for something that's similar to, you know, they've got a nice car and they want a nice aeroplane. They don't want a, the 30, 40-year-old aeroplane anymore. They want something with all the, the Gucci gadgets and the glass cockpits and yeah, I mean, that can, sort of stuff. I and mean, they
1: can have that, mate. I'd be quite happy with a late 70s Model 172 these days. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but anyway, It's
2: the difference between wanting to have it in style or just wanting to get your bum off the ground, isn't that's, it? That's pretty much it,
1: mate. But uh, anyway, as I said earlier, we'll make that a topic for another program. Now, Ben, uh, just before we started recording today, we put our uh, feelers out there on our social media streams and uh, said that you'll be recording with us. And if anybody would like to ask some uh, ATC questions, you'd be happy to uh, make up some answers or at least uh, even do it from a position of knowledge. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's right. So we've got a. Yes, he's, he's knowledgeable about making up answers.
1: Yeah. So we've got we've got had a couple of quick questions here. We want to uh, perhaps uh, go through a couple. Maybe our first one, actually from our roadie our PA guy, our sound engineer, Alan Van Page would like to know a bit about runway incursions and uh, what they do to uh, aircraft on approach. Wouldn't be pretty, I imagine.
3: Uh, well, if the aircraft's still on approach, it will cause the aerodrome controller to tell them to go around quite rapidly and then sort out what actually happened after after the fact but uh, luckily they're, they're getting they're getting rarer by major drones anyway with the advent of now Melbourne as as stop bars installed now which is a, a row of red lights across the end of the, the taxiway before you get to the runway itself and uh, they're only swi- switched off uh, by the tower and uh, they're, they're normally on and the instructions are written as such that uh, even if they say you're clear to enter the runway if the red lights don't go out you don't go anywhere.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that uh, runway incursions, I know that have been a, a small issue with some of the GA airports like Moorabbin, uh you know, when the Class D changes came in a couple of years back. But, um, you know, I think that was just a matter of uh, everybody getting used to having ground controllers again and doing things properly.
3: Yeah, that's right. Uh, the runway incursions, uh, it it's just an ongoing thing. Nine times out of 10, it's just human factors. Somebody takes the wrong turn or something like that. However, we've Got to be vigilant for it in, in a controlled environment especially obviously because you know we can't clear someone to land when there's somebody on the runway even if they're not meant to be there the most common runway incursion that we do get is actually uh, normally on the bush strips is animals helping themselves to the uh, the grass around the edge of the runway and uh, they get to be a bit of a problem sometimes with the aircraft coming in
2: mm. or the warmth off the bitumen that's not e- a classic
3: e- either or um there was actually a report that i saw a couple of years ago from uh, a in northern Queensland, on one of the coastal airports, where uh, the air controller was just about to clear a uh, a seven three seven for takeoff, and just happened to see something moving on the runway, and got his binoculars out, and there was a turtle on the runway without a clearance.
2: <laughs> well, that's not something Watch you out see every day. Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
3: Okay, Ben, you got another email there. I do. It's uh, not an email actually. This this one came from one of my other uh, forums that I uh, frequent, which is uh, VatBack. And it uh, actually comes from uh, Glenn. It was a whole big thread about uh, flight number call signs in various parts of the world and how they do, do things like that. And it all stemmed around uh, how the commuter airlines in the UK were doing their things. And they actually have one flight number, but it ends up with uh, a couple of letters behind it because we can't have more than one actual call sign in the system at once because otherwise we get confused about which one we're actually talking about. So uh, they might have a, uh, say one of the, the regional airlines, flight number two might be from point A to point B and then to point C, but because of a delay, they might be actually flying flight two twice at the same time with different aeroplanes. So they we put uh, letters on the end of the, the call signs that we use in the air. And he also mentioned about uh, making issues with ICAO designators and uh, call sign confusion and things like that. And uh, that's a, a daily occurrence. We always get... Uh, things that sound similar which we just have to be aware of and try and highlight the differences in our voice with inflections and uh, the way we place emphasis on the, on the different parts of the call sign and uh, also if it becomes a big issue then we uh, we report it and put it through the system and try and get the airline to change it and that has happened before where uh, Pacific Blue Airlines actually uh, started with the uh, the identifying letters of PBI and was asked in no uncertain terms, I'm sure, to change it to, P- to something else and it became PBN to uh, remove the confusion between the I and a 1. Call sign confusion just just something that's a part of the job, unfortunately, and uh, we reckon that the airlines actually get together behind our backs and actually make it so that we get similar call signs in the same spot, sky, at the same sector at the same time. So... Uh, it's not, not uncommon, unfortunately, but uh, it's just one of the challenges of the job of uh, being a controller to make sure that the right aeroplane gets the right instruction, which is why we have readbacks.
1: Yeah, well, it must be interesting too, um, you know, with, with so many new airlines coming on stream, I noticed this week that uh, Scooter Airlines has uh, started flying in and they've got the the pretty obvious one, I guess, uh, which is Scooter. Uh, I don't know how that shows up on your screens there in Melbourne Centre, but uh, the other one I always find interesting is Tiger Airways, who use the call sign GoCat. Yeah. Uh- <laughs>
3: Yes, well, GoCat actually is not their first call sign either. They used to use the call sign of Stripes and somewhere along the line that got changed and it's it's all part of the, the joy of running an airline is that at some point uh, it's got to be agreed upon through all the different uh, places that you fly. So part of the challenge is getting a call sign that everyone can agree to.
1: Well, we can talk about go GoCat all day and we can talk about scooters, but uh, scooting along my street right now is someone that we haven't heard for a while. Oh, mate. There he is, and it's not even midnight. You know, he comes here earlier and earlier, the postman. I know. The midnight poster, he
2: must be complaining about jet lag if he's turning up this early.
1: No, I think Australia Post has cut back on his overtime. That's what the trouble is. Oh,
2: there you go. Yes, he's here early because it's a long weekend. Yeah, it's
1: getting close to the end of the financial year. Well, it's, it's a long weekend. That's right. He's on, he's on penalty <laughs> rates. <laughs> all right. Actual listener mail. In fact, we've had a heap of listener mail, but we haven't done a listener mail segment for a while, so we thought we'd uh, run off a selection of uh, three or four of them here. And uh, one came in uh, just a couple of days ago, guys, from uh, a young fellow, 14 year old, in fact, by the name of Levan Ruban. Now, Levan, I hope I've pronounced your name right there, mate. But he wrote, just writes in to say, Hi, he's a 14 year old aviation enthusiast living here in Melbourne, and uh, he's looking at doing some journalism by the uh, look of it there, Grant. It's good to see uh, yet more young people, uh, particularly at his age, uh, looking at aviation, perhaps not even from a flying standpoint as far as I know, but even from a journalism standpoint.
2: It's like we keep saying, there's more than just being a pilot to uh, helping aviation in the world and so many jobs that go on to keep aircraft in the air or to keep pilots employed and, uh, you know, to even report on it. So, yeah, that's great to see, mate.
1: Yeah, Levan's also got his own YouTube channel. If you want to look at YouTube, his uh, user ID there is Why Not Aviation? And we'll throw a link to that into our show notes for this episode. For sure. Now, Levan was actually out at the uh, the Boeing Dreamliner day and, uh, yeah, he actually scored an interview with uh, Captain abraham as well so uh, i've had a bit of a look at that he did a very good job on it too so uh everybody get over there and uh, make sure you follow uh, levan's uh, channel there why not aviation
2: yep we've also had a letter come in from jack miller who's uh, writing a general aviation blog about australian aviation and it's actually called general aviation australia and it can be found on blogspot.com.au once again we'll drop a, uh, a reference into that and uh yeah it's great he's uh, talking about how important general aviation is to australia and uh where it's going and, uh, and what his perception of it is. He's a young pilot and uh, yeah, even did a little write-up on us. My God, the boy must be insane.
1: What a great guy. I really appreciate that, Jack. And in fact, uh, Jack's also offering to help us out here uh, with some work you know you want to be careful about offering that sort of stuff, Jack. Just ask Grant how good I am at loading people up with lots of work to do.
2: Yeah, yeah. You're not heard in this podcast is the drudging sound of me trying to haul along the chains <laughs> that's been added to me by <laughs> one visher.
1: That's right. That's not an actual uh, sound effect out of my machine actually. That's actual chains. That's <laughs> (laughs) Correct. (laughs)
2: Actually, it's good. I'm getting a little, you know, buff dragging these chains around Woo-hoo. oh there you go no, no
1: worries <laughs> yeah but anyway uh, we appreciate that Jack for writing into us and letting us know about your blog and uh, we hope that uh, everybody piles on there it's actually it's quite a long uh, URL there it's uh, general-aviation-australia.blogspot.com.au and uh, Jack we might have to uh, look at uh, pointing you at hover.com or somewhere and getting a, a bit of a shorter URL for that one I think but, uh, <laughs> but it's a great blog and uh, certainly well worth a look uh, as once again uh, you know right in line with what we do here at PCDU it's talking about at, uh, aviation in Australia and uh, you know this part of the world. That's what we're trying to do here is just talk it up. Talk it up.
2: That's it. That's it. Get more people into it. Get more people aware of it and uh, help grow the pie.
1: Absolutely. Now back on April 26 we received uh, an email here from uh, Andrew Brown over in the UK. Uh, Hi guys just listened to episode 84 and uh, that was the one uh, that we had uh, with uh, Jeff Whitty, Kathy Mexted's brother and uh, I tell you what Grant, I reckon that was actually one of my favourite episodes. It was a pleasure to record it and the download numbers have certainly borne that out. It's It's been uh, pretty well received but uh Andrew's just writing in here to say that he thought uh, Jeff was a fantastic uh, guest and tells great stories, and you know he says that's a major part of aviation in his view.
2: Yep. It was definitely a great episode, and uh, we're glad to hear from uh, Andrew and other people that uh, they enjoyed it, especially more so because Jeff's not a pilot, he's not air crew, he's not engineering or anything like that. He's an operations manager. He uh, develops and maintains and keeps everything going on the um, administration side, so it was uh, definitely a, a good perspective on it.
1: Andrew also says further down this email that uh, he thinks Cathy is great and uh he says he loves her enthusiasm and infectious laughter and banter. So, uh, yes, Kathy's a bit of a superstar here. Now, we don't want that to go to your head, Cathy, when you listen to this episode, but uh, <laughs> we are actually going to have Cathy on in the next couple of episodes again. So, uh, yeah, that'll be another uh, another great show with her, I'm sure.
2: And how. They're always a lot of fun, even if they do generate a lot of uh, editing fun for Mr. Steve. Like, or in this case, me. Yeah. Me. I'm starting to experience it. Yeah, you're editing the latest one.
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> so he's so saying I should put more bloopers in this.
2: Uh, Please don't do that, Veggie, because otherwise we'll never get around to talking about Howard McLernan, who's uh, written in to say that he's been uh, sifting through the archives, going way back to the start. Another brave person. And uh, he really enjoyed the Lang Kidby episode back in number 14. Uh, Lang uh, is the person who's reenacted a few flights. He was one of the pilots in the Vickers Vimy replica flying from uh, the UK to Australia. And he also uh, got an avian replica, I believe it was, um, and flew it all the way down single-handed, like, like Bert Hinkler did from the UK to Australia.
1: He's an IT guy by the looks of it. He, uh, he likes the fact that we're uh, using all sorts of uh, geeky technology here and not the mainstream stuff according to some of the yeah. uh, some of his Twitter responses to the things we're doing here. So uh, good on you, Howard.
2: Yeah, thanks, mate. Really appreciate it.
1: And thanks to everybody who's been writing into uh, PCDU. Of course, it's uh, playing crazy down under at gmail.com. We actually uh, have quite a uh, stockpile of uh, emails that have come in and uh, we really appreciate everybody that sends them. And we try to make a point of rep- applying to everybody and uh, we can't read everybody's on air all the time but uh, we, we certainly try and take a selection of them. Okay, that uh, wraps up the listener mail segment for this episode. Uh, Grant, just before we go into uh, shout outs, we've got a big shout out here for our friends at Gipps Aero but I uh, wanted to mention here a, uh, a bit of an issue going on down here in Victoria at a local airfield just out to the northwest of Melbourne and that's at Kyneton. Now it looks like that airfield might be under some threat. Uh, the councillors uh, in fact uh, had a meeting uh, just a couple of weeks ago to possibly decide the fate of that airport and uh, there's been a bit of a going, and we've been pushing that, uh, particularly in our last newsletter. That's
2: right, mate. Uh, Basically, they're assessing what their options are for the airfield, and apparently one of the items on the potential to be considered is uh, to actually close the airport down. So uh, helping out, getting the word out to everyone to uh, get in touch with the folks at uh, Kyneton and uh, let them know that you support the airport. Staying open and how important it is. In our last newsletter, we put reference into it and asked people to uh, give us a yell if they wanted us to send them a copy of the uh, boilerplate letter to send around and also who to send it to at the council. And So thanks to everyone who wrote in and asked for copies of that. It was really good, and we put quite a few of them out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's uh, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that. And we mentioned Kathy Meckshead, of course. Uh, that's, that's sort of her stomping ground up that way, so uh, she's uh, keeping an eye on that for us too, and hopefully we'll get an interview with some people up there soon. Just to point out uh, how important it is that we keep these facilities running, I, I quite often point out the, uh, the local airport down my way at Berwick, which has now long since been closed at the behest of developers uh, mainly. And, of course, uh, the sad thing about the old Berwick airport is that probably only half of that uh, area was ever utilized uh, when they built a university on top of it uh, and the rest of that is just sitting there as a big empty paddock and uh, just crazy that it was ever shut down as an aviation facility because uh, this part of Melbourne on this side of the city where I live on the east side it's uh, it's, it's certainly left a, a huge gap in uh, the aviation capacity on this side of the city and uh, if you think about if you live in this part of Melbourne and think about Berwick And think about where it is and how handy it would be to have an airport there now, Uh, you know, 20 years later after they closed it. Well, you know, that was really short-sighted. And we certainly don't want to see that going on over on the west side of Melbourne where there's a lot of development creeping out that way now too. So we need to make sure that this doesn't happen to Kyneton. And there ends the rant. For now. <laughs> okay, uh, quickly, Grant, uh, moving on to shout-outs just as we wrap this episode up and uh, we mentioned Gibbs Aero. Where, of course, they've been wonderful sponsors of our show in the past and uh, a great Aussie company. We'd love to give them a plug wherever we can and uh, very deserving because uh, they very recently had the the inaugural flight
2: of the uh, the GA-10. That's right, mate. The uh, 10-seater, turboprop-powered, stretched, bigger version of the GA-8 air Van. Yeah, it flew at the start of May and it's now well-progressed through its uh, test flights. And it's great to see it up in the air uh, using that Rolls Royce turboprop engine. And uh, we're really looking forward to seeing it get on the market and uh, give everyone a run for their money.
1: Yep, fantastic. And of course, uh, Gips Aero actually have a uh, Facebook presence and a Twitter feed as well. So make sure you get on there and follow them there. Make sure you support a great Australian manufacturer. We'll put links in our show notes, of course, to uh, both those social media feeds from Gips Aero. Grant, we're going to need to get back down there and have a bit of a chat to the guys about the aircraft because we've still got a couple of uh, great interviews that were recorded with their crew back at Oshkosh last year. And we think uh, a Gips Aero uh, episode, I think we better get that out into the stream very soon.
2: No, I think It's a very good idea, mate.
1: Okay, that's about everything we have for you on this episode of Playing Crazy Down Under. Thanks very much for listening. As always, we certainly hope you enjoyed it. ATC Ben, thanks for the flight. Thanks for coming to Natfly with me. And more to the point, thanks for taking me to Natfly.
3: I I had a seat and it was going in the right direction, so uh, it'd be a bit of a shame to have an empty seat next to me otherwise, wouldn't it?
1: It certainly would indeed, mate, that's for sure. If you'd like to contact Ben uh, about anything to do with air traffic control here in Australia, just uh, head over to playingcrazydownunder.com and click on the About Us tab. You'll find out all about Ben and all the rest of us uh, right Right there you can also uh, send him a question uh, via our email address or you can follow him on twitter he is atc underscore ben ben thanks very much mate and we'll catch you next time
3: yeah not a not a problem mate and i'll see you again next time
1: all right grant i better let you get back to uh, planning all your balloon activities for the week sounds like another busy week for you
2: uh yeah a lot of non-standard stuff happening at the moment and some special uh special events so uh, lots of lots of effort going on in there and uh, still more admin things i'm picking up and improving and streamlining, so very very busy. And of course, we're very
1: busy here uh, in the PCDU studio as well, Grant. We've got uh, heaps of interviews recorded uh, that we should be able to get out over the next couple of months. Looking at getting up to some events later in the year, but uh, I'll tell you what, uh, as we get to the middle of the year, Grant, uh, it's certainly been a very, very busy time for us. We've been out to a lot of air shows, we've been all over the countryside, and uh, I think I need a bit of a rest here at the end of June.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, July could be a good time. It's winter. It's uh, not really great times to be flying. Although when you do get the clear skies, it can be absolutely magic up there. You don't get a lot of bumps. It's very smooth and the the views are spectacular.
1: We'll be back soon with episode number 90 as we push towards our fourth year of playing crazy down under. We'll see you then. But remember, when you're talking aviation podcasts, well, just remember this. It's
6: what's down under that counts. You've been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer, Grant McKerran and ATC Ben. You can follow us on Twitter at PCDU. And for more information about the team, feedback, storylines you'd like us to follow and any advertising inquiries, go to our website, planecrazydownunder.com. Plane Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media production.
1: Yeah, it's been a chilly old day. In fact, as we're recording this here on the uh, what is the date? Quick, tell me, somebody, quick.
2: On the eleventh, 11th. the eleventh. 11th? His birthday. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Monday, the eleventh of June. Ben seems like a few of your air traffic control mates might have known you're up there.
2: Yeah, it all sort, sort of, went of went downhill. A
1: little a bit. bit. Stop. 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 Stop.
2: We just, we just, we just lost quality.
1: Oh, what's my computer trying to do?
2: Okay. I don't know. Okay, it's try. Good now. Yeah. Sorry, mate.
1: Try it. go again. Okay. Sorry. Actually, why am I apologising for Telstra? <laughs> I think we have an episode name.
3: Why am I apologising for Telstra? That's beautiful, yeah. That's right. I, I hope you've got Oz Runways on your iPhone.
1: I do indeed. I have Os Runways. In fact, um, when I'm driving the train, it works really well.
2: <laughs> it even says which spur line to take. I better not say that. Yes, in fact. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, no comment, Your <laughs> Honour.
1: So I think we'll call that a wrap for this year's uh, NetFly 2012. Uh, boy, I'm hope uh, no, this year's NetFly 2012. Did you want to do that now? Yeah, just yeah, just to keep the time down a little. Think really? think think about the person at the editing desk.
3: <coughs> Who's he? Like <laughs> <laughs> I've ever done that before.
2: Sorry, I got to mute out. I got one of my directors calling. Sorry, guys. He will be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Aaron, you've done it again. That's right.
3: I'm resisting the urge to meow
1: so uh, it'd
3: be a bit of a shame to have an empty seat next to me otherwise wouldn't
2: it yeah absolutely yeah well he certainly didn't want it infected with typhoid Mary aka Grant
3: that's right exactly right (laughs) yes uh, you were on the do not fly list for that weekend (laughs) (laughs) that's right
2: (laughs) you had the uh, centre of disease control in the US calling up saying do not fly McCarran correct